Welcome to She Is Your Neighbor, a show where we discuss the realities and complexities of domestic violence. This podcast is brought to you by Women's Crisis Services of Waterloo Region, a charitable organization in Ontario, Canada. I'm your host, Jenna Main. Join me as we talk to different people each week to learn how domestic violence impacts people from all walks of life. She is your neighbor, and we all have a role to play in ending domestic violence. This episode is called Taking Action Along the Highway of Tears with the Moosehide Campaign. In 2011, 16-year-old Raven Lassert went on a hunting trip with her dad, Paul Lassert, near the infamous Highway of Tears. This is a section of highway between Prince George and Prince Rupert, B.C., where many Indigenous women have gone missing or been found murdered. Going into this trip, Raven and her dad had no idea that they would be inspired to start the Moosehide Campaign. This is a grassroots movement which is focused on ending violence against Indigenous women and children. In this episode, we learn about the Moosehide Campaign from Raven Lassert and David Stevenson. Raven is the co-founder of the Moosehide Campaign and David is the CEO. Together, they explain how the campaign started, what it's all about, and how it has grown and evolved over the years and spread to various communities all across the country. It was really awesome to connect with Raven and David for this episode. They're all the way out in BC, and that's where this initiative started, but I've seen people wearing moose hide pins right here in Waterloo Region. Uh, I've got one myself now that I'm wearing, uh, and I just think it's pretty cool to see an initiative like this pop up and then just spread right across Canada and really get picked up and gain momentum like this. So I'm really glad they were able to join us for this episode, and I hope you enjoy it. Before we get started, I'd like to note that the following episode includes a discussion of domestic violence and abuse, which may be distressing or traumatic for some listeners. Please take care of yourself and don't hesitate to ask for help if you need it. I'd also like to thank our episode sponsor, Magnet Forensics. Magnet Forensics creates digital investigation software to help seek justice and protect the innocent. Their solutions not only protect corporations from cybercrime, but help law enforcement and government agencies fight cyber-enabled crimes like child exploitation, human trafficking, and terrorism. Visit MagnetForensics.com to learn more. Hello again. It's so great to see you both here today. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. It's so great. It's really exciting. I'm glad we can do this virtually. I think it's going to be a really great conversation today. So can we start, I think we'll start with Raven. If you could start just by telling us a little bit about yourself. Yes, thank you. So I'm going to start by introducing myself in my own traditional language, which is Carrier uh, from Central British Columbia. So Hadit, Raven Lassert Sadni, Loretta Madam Slu, Paul Lassert Spa, Saigana Lakshubu Injan Yin Kaktene Keo, Tabesna Chalia Injan Lakwangan Keo. And so I just said hello, good day. My name is Raven Lassert. Um, I'm a carrier, a member of the Lake Babi Nation, and I'm part of the Bear Clan. I also let you know that my parents are the late Loretta Madam, and my dad is Paul Lassert. 
Um, and at the end, I just uh, acknowledged the beautiful territory that I'm on here today in Victoria, BC, of the Lekwungen speaking people's territories, the Songhees and Esquimalt Nation. So I'm very excited to be here uh, today to share a little bit more about the Moosehide campaign. I am the co-founder along with my dad, Paul Assert, um, and so uh, we are the co-founders together and excited to share a little bit more with you folks today. That was wonderful. Thanks, Raven. I really appreciate that. It's great to learn a bit more about you. And we also have David here. So David, do you mind introducing yourself to everyone as well? Yeah, uh, good morning and, and thanks for having us on today. Um, my name is David Stevenson. I'm the CEO of the Moosehide Campaign and um, I'm uh, Irish, French and Haudenosaunee ancestry. And I, uh, like Raven, I live on the Kongan speaking people's territory here in Victoria, BC. I live right on the side of Mount Bacalls or Bacalls Mountain, which is sometimes known as Mount Doug, but, um, and uh, just grateful to be here and looking forward to uh, a conversation with you today. Wonderful, I'm so excited to have you both here. So thank you so much for joining us. Mm -hmm. So today we're gonna be talking about the Moose Hide Campaign. I'm really excited to learn more about it and I was hoping you could start by telling us what is the Moosehide campaign and how did it begin? So my dad and I started the campaign together in 2011 and our family kind of came to this moment where we made the decision to start this um, campaign. We had no idea what would come of it when we first got the idea but we knew that we needed to do um, something to invite more men and boys into the space of ending violence towards women and children. And so there was kind of a few different things that were going on around the time that we got this idea. Our family is from along the Highway of Tears, um, which is a stretch of highway um, from Prince George up to Prince Rupert here in uh, British Columbia, where dozens of women have either gone missing or been found murdered from along that stretch of highway. And so, um, it's often a very unsafe place for women who are traveling along that highway and our family has felt those losses and have seen what different cycles of violence within our communities and within our own family and so those are some of the things that kind of led us to this point. Um, we're a hunting family, so uh, we were out on a hunting trip along the Highway of Tears uh, in the summertime in 2011, and um, we were lucky enough to get a moose that year. And as we were cleaning it out, we were talking about what that highway represents and all of the women who have lost their lives and how much pain there is um, associated with all of that. And so we wanted to do something to help create more spaces for men and boys to join in those conversations to help make some real change. And so we thought maybe if we tanned up that little moose hide and cut them into a bunch of little squares and offered it as a little bit of medicine of the land, the medicine of the land of our ancestors and the beauty of that moose that gave its life to us, that maybe if we cut them into little squares, people could wear that as their everyday commitment and their everyday reminder to never do violence in their lives. And so we did that. My sisters and I went home and cut up the first 25,000 squares of moose hide and we hand wrote all these little information cards but what we were trying to do and just started handing them out. So um, since then, we've handed out over two and a half million moose hide pins across Canada. That's amazing. I love that. And I assume you're not cutting them all yourself anymore. 
not anymore. No, um, <laughs> we we have otherwise um, unemployed Indigenous women who are now cutting them for us, and they come with like a little information card about what the Moosehide campaign is. So um, if you're out and about and wearing the pin and somebody sees it, um, you could just pass them that card with the pin on it, and they can have all of that information and the link to our website and everything. So it's a good conversation starter, that's for sure. Oh, for sure. And what a great way to engage men and boys, too. I think sometimes when it comes to violence against women, it can be difficult for sometimes men to know where do they step in. They might want to help, but how do they do that? Where do they start? And I think wearing the little moose head pin, I, no one can see it, but I can see it. And you're both wearing it today. And it looks awesome. And uh, we actually ordered a bunch. So I'm waiting for ours to come in. I was telling David awesome. earlier. So yeah, I'm really excited about that. Uh, David, was there anything you wanted to add about the start of the campaign or anything like that? Um, well, I'll just mention a couple of things that when uh, when the campaign started, uh, just to note that it was, you know, Paul and Raven started this 10 years ago while we're moving into 12 years ago. And this was before, you know, Me Too and really before the Murdered and Missing Indigenous Women's Inquiry. And uh, it is actually in 2000, just uh, a year before that, that Paul and uh, Raven's father and I were at a conference and I was actually working, I put on the conference from the work I was doing then for all the organizations across Canada working with uh, on the issue of violence against Indigenous women in Canada came together and there was over, I, I'm going to say about 450 people at the conference and there was only four men at the conference and so one of the things that we walked away thinking and uh, Paul and Raven really were thinking is where's all the men in this space and uh, that was a that did come up at the conference and it also is something that continues to be an important question like what are men doing in this space and and on this issue so yeah just add that in that that's sort of part of the part of the uh, spirit of what we're we're up against here that's great. Thank you. Yeah, and I, I totally understand the importance of including men in these conversations. Even for this project, the She Is Your Neighbor project, we found it really important to include male voices because I think men, when it comes to violence against women, quite honestly, it's part of the problem, are men, and they need to be part of the solution as well, I think. And I think it's not anything anyone can work on alone. It's something we all need to work on together. So I think that's fantastic. And I'm, I'm curious about that Um with men involving men in this campaign, I'm wondering at the beginning of the campaign, was there, what was the reaction like from men when you started this? Yeah, so um, it's been such a interesting journey for us. When we first uh, started the Moosehide campaign, uh, I was 16 years old. Um, and so I, it's been a huge uh, learning journey for me. We had an idea and thought that we had some medicine and some love um, to offer to people if they needed that medicine or that love or that opportunity to join this space. And so when we first started, we first started talking about the Moosehide campaign with my friends and family and just started sharing about what we were trying to do. We came with good intentions and uh, wanted to create space where it's not about blaming or shaming. It's just about like, there's a real problem that's happening in this country and the women are not safe. And we see the need for more men and boys to be joining us in that space. And so welcoming them with open arms of saying, yes, this is a problem that we can all fix together, that we need to be lifting each other up. And so there were a ton of men that are strong, healthy warriors out there that are walking this walk. And 
wanted it felt like they were looking for some sort of community to be part of to say this is actually what we stand for and I have a daughter or I have a sister I have a mom and I want to help do what I can to make sure that they are nothing but loved and respected and protected at all times and so there were um it was very well received and uh there were all some challenges in this space of um inviting men and boys into the space of ending violence it's been seen to be a women's issue for a very long time and so um yeah it's it's been um respectfully welcoming men and boys into this space so that we can make that real change yeah and i like what you said about providing a community because it sounds like there was a, a want and a need for this out there but people didn't know how to congregate, how to show that they wanted to support something like this. So to me, it sounds like you really created this avenue for people to get involved and feel like they could be a part of something, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, thanks. So I'm also wondering, has the reaction changed at all from men over the years? I know you've been doing this for 10, 12 years now. What's it been like? Can you tell me about the process and how it's maybe changed or evolved over time? It's been really interesting. So part of the Moosehide campaign is that we have the Moosehide pins available for free. Um, you can order them on our website to anyone uh, that wants them. We cover the shipping costs. We want it to be as accessible to folks as possible. Um, and so when we first started the Moosehide campaign, it was really focused on Indigenous peoples. And so bringing men and boys, Indigenous and non-Indigenous, together to end violence against Indigenous women and children. And so we quickly realized that um, violence isn't just happening to Indigenous women, it's happening to all women and children across this country. And so um, our scope broadened like immediately. We wanted to invite as many people into this space to work together as we can. And so it quickly changed to ending violence against all women and children with a special focus on Indigenous women because we all know that Indigenous women are have a higher likelihood of experiencing violence than anyone else in this country and so we continue to have that special focus. So when we started handing out all of the pins and it started to grow, we realized that there were lots of women in this space as well that wanted to join the campaign. And so we want to make sure that everyone feels welcome to wear the Moosehide pin and to join us in our fasting ceremony. And so that's the kind of the other part of the Moosehide campaign is that we offer a one day ceremony where we go without food or water from sunup until sundown. And we come together in this fasting ceremony and we have this collective effort. And so we're working towards a goal of getting 1 million Canadians fasting together on the same day um, and bringing in that heart-centered connection for people where um, Indigenous, non-Indigenous men, women, um, members of the LGBTQ2S community can all come together and be part of this together. So um, when we first started, there were lots of men and boys in this space and continuing to have those conversations and invite more people in. Um, and also women and the folks in the gender non-conforming LGBTQ2S community. So it's just been growing and lots of hope in this space, I think. So. Oh, that sounds great. That sounds awesome. Um, and for the fasting ceremony, I'm curious, can people participate from anywhere across Canada? Um, or do they have to come somewhere specific? Or how does that work? Yeah, um, for sure. Uh, we... Um 
the, the fasting is something that started um, with really was initially chart uh, um, a way of challenging men and boys to join us and inviting all Canadians, but challenging men and boys to say this is something we're not just going to think about. We're not. It's not just a good idea. This is something we have to show ourselves and our community and uh, each other that we're committed to this. That this is uh, this is actually a national crisis. It's something that is completely preventable. And we have to put some skin in the game on. And so we think of the fasting part of this is inviting everybody for sure. Um, we challenge men and boys and we, we think of the fa fasting as part of uh, it throughout history as being part of large social movements and large social, um, you know, uh, efforts to to change uh, some of the assumptions or the ways that things happen in a society. And so that, you know, some people think of it as a bit of a one day hunger strike, you know, um, and that kind of thing. But we do it. Uh, definitely. We, we have the fast. Uh, we, we ask um, elders from throughout our uh, indigenous communities and and all religions and all cultures and all backgrounds to call upon their resources to, if they have ways of fasting. Most old cultures have traditions of fasting in times of transition or need or deepening or when things are you know, when there's an, a crisis at hand uh, or there's some need at hand. So that, yeah, that's what it is. It's a, uh, uh, and it's a day where we have, it's a very active day in a sense. Um, we have workshops, we have uh, speakers come and we do, we do some capacity building and we have ceremony around the fasting and the breaking of the fast. And so again, we'll, it's usually in February and we'll have another one this year and all your listeners and all their families are um, invited to fast with us for the day. And we'll have our website up uh, and we'll have resources uh, so people can come and learn about the fast and be part of the fast and join together and get in pods and fast together. Hopefully by then, maybe it, it's something we can actually physically get together and do, which we've done every year except for this year. We had an, uh, we did it online. We had about 80,000 people register to join us in our, in our online event this year and, and our fasting event. That's great. I'm glad you're still able to go forward with it uh, despite the pandemic. I know this year has been so crazy and things have been so different, but that's wonderful. And yes, everyone listening, go check that out. February, mark your calendars. <laughs> so next, in addition to the fast, I know you also have educational resources that are part of this campaign as well. So I was wondering if you could share a little bit about what those are. Sure. Yeah. Um, we have a number of resources that are being created by, uh, you know, uh, educators and actually traditional elders and knowledge keepers from across North America. And we have sort of three categories. We have most of our educational resources that we're working on and we've shared so far are for the K-12. So we have a real focus on K-12 uh, as being a really important demographic to get this word out and get some action uh, in. Um, as well as post-secondary, and we also have a three-hour online training we're currently developing. That'll be for you know um, adults and individuals, organizations that want to learn about the issue, build some skill, and help scale the scale the campaign or the uh, the movement to try and um, to end violence against all women and children in Canada. The, the we have um, a number of YouTube videos. We have like a number of workshops uh, that were created for our Moosehide Campaign Day 2021 that we just had. There's five uh, English and two French ones. Uh, there's teachers resource guides that go along with these videos. Um, and there's, there's stuff like um, we have one that's TikTok for activism. And so we get uh, young folks involved with TikTok and, and creating TikToks to help scale the, the idea of let's work together to create safety around our our women and children in this community and 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 let's let's work together to learn some rules of the road as young men 
about how we need to interact and grow and what's healthy masculinity and, and what is not and how can we discern between the two and all that kind of thing. So we have lots of resources like that. We're actually developing a more wholesome, uh, fulsome, if you will, uh, set of resources. There's going to be three, an early and middle and a, and a senior year resources. The senior years will be self-directed. and So these are going to be very interactive, web-based kind of learning. Uh, and hopefully there'll be sort of plug and play for teachers. There'll be teachers resource guides, but they'll be easy for teachers to, to use. Um, and so what we recommend is there the teachers and, uh, and uh, students and whoever wants to can go through the resources as a bit of a lead up to Moosehide Campaign Day, which will be uh, the second Thursday in this coming February, as well as uh, on the, on the post-secondary front, we have uh, um, campuses, we're engaged with uh, all campuses across Canada that we can be, uh, just about every campus has got at least a couple of uh, letters from us and, and a lot have picked up on the concept. As you know, the first couple of weeks on campus is a very high risk environment. It's, it's a high risk environment anyway, but those first two weeks are very high risk. So we're working with uh, our, uh, sorry, our post-secondary team to scale a program we're calling the Ambassador Campus Program, which is basically creating uh, asking universities and same thing in the K-12 sector to use their creativity, use their artistic skills or their creative skills to come up with ways of getting the message out and talking about this campaign and talking about the issues that, uh, that we're trying to uh, support. And, and we've got lots of campuses that are going through this, uh, this process. And we, then we give them a plaque and say, you're now an ambassador campus for the Moosehide campaign. And people seem to really resonate with that, you know, where they're asking us to help us with their policy and, and help us with, you know, um, getting into the key, like the engineering programs, et cetera, et cetera. Hey, we should get in there and, and create a bit of a, you know, Moosehide campaign movement there. And uh, we're hoping that every campus in Canada will have um, uh, be part of Moosehide Campaign Day and help scale this uh, issue, not only for the issue of reconciliation and domestic violence, but just generally for the fact that we believe that uh, that this campaign and any any other and other campaigns can can actually shift the conversation, you know, at, at the sort of systems level uh, and at the societal level, hopefully. So K to 12, post-secondary, we work with RCMP. We're doing some educational work with the RCMP. We're signing a protocol with them. We're hopefully gonna be working with the military. Uh, the current minister is very, a big supporter for a number of years, Harjit Singh. You'll see him wearing it. You'll see the prime minister wearing it from time to time. Lots of politicians wearing it. Gord Downey wore it for the last uh, year and a half of his life. He's always had his Moosehide campaign uh, pin on. And so, you know, we're, we're trying to have people stand stand up and share that this is an educational journey it's a learning journey and it's a collective journey we need to take together that is so cool yes i've seen the prime minister wearing it and that's that's so exciting that's got to feel really cool for for you both to kind of see that and see the campaign come to life is, is that pretty neat to see absolutely yeah it's um it just feels um like every time i see somebody wearing the moosehide pin that I can know that those are potentially conversations that are being had out there and awareness is being raised and people are making those commitments. And so um, I am desperate for change and for safety for the women and children in this country. And so um, every time I see uh, anyone wearing the Moosehide pin, it just fills me with even more hope for our future. 
That's wonderful. I agree. I think it is just such a symbol of hope and, and what's to come. So I love that. And I think it is really important because um, unfortunately, violence against women is a big issue in Canada, particularly against Indigenous women and girls. And I'm actually wondering um, if either of you, if you know a woman who's experienced domestic violence or perhaps who's gone missing, and if you'd be comfortable sharing a little bit about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I want to start by saying, like, acknowledging my dad in this conversation. And for me, when we first started the Moosehide campaign, I was 16, and I knew what it was like to be a visibly Indigenous person um, growing up in my life. And I have uh, four sisters who are also visibly Indigenous. And so when we got the idea to start the campaign, my dad was really doing it to make sure that he was doing everything that he possibly could with our short time on this earth to make sure that his daughters and his loved ones are that he's doing everything he can to make sure that we are as protected and unsafe as possible. And so if that meant starting a national movement and bringing as many men and boys and all Canadians into that space, then he was just willing to do it. He was just like, I have to do everything in my power to make sure that my daughters are safe. And so now I'm a mom. I have my own daughter, Cedar. Um, she will be three in one month from now. And so it wasn't it wasn't really until then that I really got that sense of like urgency of like wow I have this responsibility for my daughter to make sure that the men and boys that I'm doing everything in my power to make sure that all men and boys and all Canadians can be um more awareness can be raised and people can start and continue their healing processes and we really believe that hurt people hurt people and so we want to we want to help those people that are hurting um to not hurt so bad and so that maybe they don't uh, hurt others too and so um the answer is yes i have experienced violences in my life and um i know far too many people that have experienced violence in their lives far too many um and it's just so sad to know that though there are so many lived experiences and realities currently happening out there right now especially during the pandemic the increased violence of women that are stuck in their homes with their um, partners that are being abusive it's it's very sad to know all of the things that are happening out there right now. And I just want to, it's more important now than ever that we continue having these important conversations, even if we're all at home and continue wearing your moose hide pin while you're on Zoom calls and while you're out at the grocery store and just continuing to have these important conversations. And our family is from along the Highway of Tears. Um, so we do have some family members that have gone missing and been found murdered from along that stretch of highway. And it's just so devastating to to see that impact in our communities and to see that impact on those families. And it just helps to continue those cycles of violence and pain and hurt and trauma and so what we really want to do is help to take out that trauma and that pain and that hurt and input love and hope and safety into those spaces and 
Um, and for anyone that's listening, if you're feeling this, then I'm just like sending you lots of love and a hug right now too. Cause I know how like lonely and scary these moments can be. And so, um, yeah. Thank you, Raven. Thank, I really appreciate you sharing that. And I know it's such a difficult thing to talk about. And, um, at the organization I work at, you know, it's COVID's been an especially scary time too, because, you know, our shelters were always at capacity with women and children escaping domestic violence. And then when COVID came along, it dropped to 40 to 60%. And it scared us because where is everybody? Why are they not able to come forward? And, and we began having more of these conversations and calling on our community to really, let's talk about this. Let's look out for your neighbors. There's there's something we can all do. And I personally think that that is part of the key. And I think it's so important. And so I just really appreciate you sharing because um, I, I think it's important we have these conversations, um, even though they're difficult. And for people to realize there is something we can all do, you know? Totally. David, was there anything you wanted to add there? Um, I would just say uh, that for me, as uh, who like to think of myself as a fairly aware, awakened and uh, I don't know what the new term is, woke or some guy, some 10 years ago when I started this journey, um, that uh, I didn't know just how, I, you know, how prevalent this is that, that you know, well, I've heard it. I didn't sink in that, you know, to be a woman and get up at 1130 at night and walk down to the local 7-Eleven is a scary thing. And for guys, it generally isn't. It's not in the same way. It's just a completely different, but it's, it's, we don't talk about that. We don't acknowledge that difference. And so it's been a real learning journey for me. I have met many people who have been impacted this by this issue, probably met a lot more than I know, uh, because I think, you know, it's not something people just automatically tell you all the time but uh, and I'll just say this that it was a real uh, you know I've, I worked in the in the downtown east end of Vancouver for a number of years and one of the things I did was start up a young uh, a program for young men who were adjudicated men who were young boys really um, young boys who were coming out uh, from had done violence in their uh, and, and had been charged with some kind of a violent crime. And so we're working with them to try and through cultural means to try and uh, find a way for them to, to uh, understand their issues and to heal and try and grow. And even then I didn't fully understand the issue. And that was my focus at that time. And when I got more and more involved in the work I'm doing right now, it's interesting and sad and uh, I shouldn't say interesting because that's, uh, you know, it's really, it's sad and it surprised me, I guess is what I should say. It surprised me how pervasive this issue is across all socioeconomic situations. Um, you know, I've had people who are senior officials in government say, you know, if it wasn't for a women's shelter, I wouldn't be here kind of thing. Um, that are as well, as, so it cuts across all communities, all, uh, all genders, all cultures, all aspects of uh, Canadian society. and so. You know, I don't think any of us are far from this issue. Um, we might be insulated from it to some extent, but where it's not far. And and so, you know, one of the things we're hoping to do is with the moose hide. Uh, there's a lot that we uh, have hanging on this, and one of the, the things that we're uh, wanting to uh, hopefully see is that there is a conscious and meaningful intention behind most people that they want to do something in this space something they want to help they want to create a safety 
And we've had five years of uh, independent research now that has shown a couple of things to say that there's at least five conversation for every moose hide pin that's worn. So that may be, you know, that's that's millions of convert million millions of conversations about this, uh, and also that wearing the moose hide has uh, people see it as a, a sign of safety, as a signal that there's there's somebody who is knows about this issue, knows the risks of the issue, and is willing to talk about it and do something about it. It's not everything. It's not the you know it's not a silver bullet, but it certainly is saying this is an issue that every Canadian needs to take a stand on, and um, we think that uh, that. Um, Every Canadian probably knows somebody impacted by domestic violence, whether they're aware of it or not. So we're asking them to stand up and, and join us in this movement to, to say, okay, you know, <laughs> this is something that's just offside in this country, and we're not going to be okay with it. And we're going to start with the men and boys to say, boys, men, this is this is no more. We can we can stop this. It's and we need your help to sort of actually make that real. It's not just an idea, come fast with us or learn about this or do whatever it is you need to do to actually live by this and act by this in a way that makes sense to you. And it's not supposed to be super heavy on some level. It's also supposed to be, this is something we can celebrate. We can celebrate that we're going to take a stand against this, um, that we're collectively going to come together and, and, and say, no, this isn't you know good. It's not about, like as Raven said, it's not about blame or shame or or standing up and waving a flag and going, look at the great things we're doing. We have to all go, this is a humbling moment for us as Canadians. It's not something we should be proud of. So let's let's stand together and say, okay, this is something we're willing to work on collectively. I agree. I think it. I think you're so right. I think everyone does know someone who's experienced this. I, I don't think we all know that we know someone, but I, I truly believe everyone knows someone. I think it's just such a pervasive issue there is some really hard parts of these conversations, but I think like you've both talked about today, there's so much we can do and that's within our power. And to me, these conversations are really empowering because we need to know what the problem is and in order to be able to look at the solution. Um, but there is so much opportunity for us to create change. And I think what you are both doing and this organization is doing is amazing. And I personally find it really inspiring. So I, I really appreciate you talking about it today. But, so before we wrap up here, I'm wondering if something that we always ask people on this podcast is, you know, this is about encouraging people to be good neighbors and to think about how you can be a good neighbor. So I'm wondering if you could share some tips or thoughts on how you think people could be good neighbors to women who are experiencing violence. Um, sure. Uh, well, a couple of things I would, I would, that come to mind, and it's a great question. And, you know, there's embedded in your question is the idea of neighbors, right? Like it's the, you know, the, this in itself is, I think, you know, at part of the root of the problem here. Domestic violence, like many things, that is uh, harming humans, uh, but domestic violence hides in the shadows. Uh, and so we need to shine a light into that and, and create some social connection. And as you know, there, you know, social connection and loneliness are across the Western world kind of, you know, <laughs> now endemic. And they're having, and, and so this, uh, some of the response to this rests in creating connection. You know, from a traditional perspective, we see our ceremonies and our work uh, as, as creating connection and that harm comes to us when we're disconnected. Um, now, and that's like our ceremonies, for instance, are, you know, I often talk about it like we put a cast on a broken leg 
That's what a doctor does. He sets the leg, puts a cast on it. But the doctor actually doesn't heal the broken leg. That happens because the environment is created by the cast for the magic of the human body to heal itself, to, to go to work, right? And that's kind of part of this is like, we need to set spaces and containers and the neighborhood itself is a space and a container for social connection. Uh, and then when that happens, when we know our neighbors, we, we will naturally feel accountable for their well-being. That's, that's how we are designed. We're designed to care for each other. We're not designed to harm each other. Um, that happens when we're disconnected. Um, and so, you know, uh, I would say that, uh, you know, when we're trying to create these, uh, you know, neighborhoods, just being present in your neighborhood, show up, uh, say hi, make some connection. Um, and then, you know, when the time comes, you'll have the baseline to maybe say something like, hey, you know, I, there's so many women in this um, country, uh, or you can walk up and say, hey, hey, have you ever heard about the Moose Hide campaign? You know, or you can walk up and say, you know, there's a lot of harm that happens in, in our communities and, and often goes unseen. And, um, you know, just there's resources out there that can help and there's people that can help or whatever it is that you need to say to help, you know, move the conversation along and get the message out there, you know. And so, yeah, so I think that's part of it. Just show up, make some connection um, and be present with each other. I think that makes a lot of sense. Thank you, David, for that. And before we go, is either of you want to touch on why this is really important to you? Raven, I wonder if you could speak to why this conversation is important to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I just want to say one thing about the neighbors. Um, I, I just moved to a new space. And so um, one of the things that I've been thinking about doing is just creating that sense of community and um, letting other people know who I am and that I'm here. And so um, it was actually one of my dad's ideas that he went around and wrote a little note and like printed off like this little thing that was like, hey, this is who we are and this is my phone number um, if you ever need me or if there's an emergency or if there's like anything. So, and this is our street address and you like, that kind of thing and so um and he went around with like a little like I think it was like a Starbucks card that he went and handed with each one to say I'm your neighbor and this is what I'm gonna do so I think I'm gonna do that especially after having this conversation and just knowing how important it is to make those connections with each other to be able to look out for each other so um and safety first always so um going into those kinds of situations sometimes may be unsafe for you. And so I always want to encourage safety for yourself first before going out and trying to help somebody else maybe too. Um, yeah, I think that for me, the biggest part of this whole thing is um, wanting to create safety for my daughter and so that she has nothing but love and opportunity in her life. And um doing as much as we can we share a lot about ourselves and our experiences and we call it intimacy but we say into me see um and it just we go out and we share all of ourselves in the hopes that other people can feel that in their hearts and help to open up a little bit and share if they want to and so um yeah just going out and spreading love and um hope and 
um, urgency in this space of like every single day things are happening across this country and it's not okay and it doesn't have to be happening so how can we be doing this work together to make sure that women and children and men and boys and everyone along the gender continuum are safe and living their lives um, with nothing but opportunity where there's no nothing holding us back so I really appreciate you taking the time um, to hear about the work that we are doing. And I just encourage everyone to check out our website and uh, reach out if you want to talk or if you want to order some moose hide pins or join us on our fasting day and um, just sending love to all of you. I'd like to thank our episode sponsor, Magnet Forensics. Beyond Magnet Forensics Software, they have their own charitable initiative, the Oxterra Project, where they aim to connect experienced digital investigator volunteers to organizations that seek justice on behalf of vulnerable populations. The Oxterra Project is currently focusing its outreach efforts on North American organizations that work on missing persons cases within the Indigenous community. Please reach out via the Oxterra Project page on the Magnet Forensics website to learn more. That's Oxterra, spelled A-U-X-T-E-R-A. That wraps up this week's show, but the conversation is far from over. We want to hear what you think. Use the hashtag SheIsYourNeighbor on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram and join in the conversation. We all have a role to play in ending domestic violence.